Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive. And that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. This is Hope everyone had a great weekend and that you enjoyed the Selma Jubilee as well. If you missed it, a lot of that will live on social media. You can go back and look at some of the great sessions and great celebration we had from the 56th anniversary of the Selma Bridge Crossing in Bloody Sunday. So, as you know, on Friday, we aired part one of the Senate Democrats African-American Media Roundtable from Tuesday a week ago. Here is part two. And if you look in the description, you'll see some of the topics and some of the senators who were speaking, but addressing some of the issues that African-Americans are most concerned about as brought up by African-American media like yours truly. Enjoy. Reverend Mark Thompson. Good good morning. Thank you for having us to everyone. Um, Senator Booker, you were talking about alternatives to legislation you could bring to the floor, but I wasn't clear whether you were talking about justice and policing or reparations or both. If you could clarify that. Uh, just on reparations, are there any of you who are not co-sponsors? If not, why? Uh, I know this is multi-part, but if you need to cut some of it, feel free. Where are we on $15 and the parliamentarian and the filibuster? So let's let's go. I'm going to cut some parts. Let's go with $15 minimum wage. Uh, uh, and uh, Rev. Uh, uh, Mark, I will talk to you about reparations and the stance status of that bill, uh, uh, because a lot of folks uh, still haven't. I don't think even had time to look at it in this new Congress. So let's let's let Chuck answer about $15 minimum wage. And let's keep moving on. 
Look, I am firmly for the 15 minimum dollar wage. The vast majority of my caucus is for the $15 minimum wage. And um, we feel very, very badly, you know, it's the, we think the parliamentarian made a terrible decision. And there will be a vote uh, on whether that parliament, whether, whether we can voice our displeasure at that. Um, in terms of how we proceed after that, we are going to keep at it. Uh, again, the ability, even with 50 votes of the Senate, of the Senate majority to put bills on the floor is very real. And we're, we have many, we will have many other opportunities to pursue minimum wage if we can't get it in this bill. Uh, there will be a second reconciliation bill. There will be ability to uh, uh, put this on the floor. It's very popular with the American people. It's the right thing to do. And we're gonna go at it. Um, we're not going to let this go uh, if it doesn't pass in this particular reconciliation bill. This reconciliation bill, you know, um, is great in many, many ways. Um, it's, you know, what Debbie just mentioned about uh, African-American farmers, EITCC. It's the most progressive thing we have had um, <clears throat> in decades, if you look across the board, in terms of, of, of so many different things, including... Um, realizing that communities that have been traditionally left out should get a special focus. Um, but that doesn't mean our job is done. We have a lot more to do on many of the issues you talked about, Reverend Thompson. Uh, and Corey, I just want to add Senators Hassan, Cantwell, and Ossoff has joined us. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, why don't we go to uh, Tia, if you can. And Madison, why don't you everybody on deck? Good morning, and thank you guys for this opportunity. I wanted to ask um, Senators Ossoff that now that he's here, and also Senator Warnock, I talked to a Republican member of our delegation who thinks the Senate, now that the American Rescue Plan is on your lap, should look into money or policy specifically to improve vaccination rates in communities of color. What should and could be done to do that. Thank you for the question, Tia, and good to see you. And hello and good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks to the steering committee for putting this together. And I think that's right. And, and there are significant resources in this legislation that should be on the floor this week for HHS to do that and for state and local agencies to do that. Uh, and the equity of this vaccine campaign is a clear administration priority that this legislation empowers the administration to pursue. So that it's not just the absolute number of vaccines delivered, but it's the equity with which they are delivered, ensuring that communities of color and ensuring that working class people have equal access to this vaccine. We can't allow ourselves to get back into the situation we were in the early days of the pandemic with testing, where it was elites and those with wealth and connections who had special access to tests while folks who were actually at highest risk because of the work that they do couldn't get tested. And we're at risk of going down the same path with vaccines. The, the, the very good news is that thanks to this administration's efforts, the vaccine supply is coming online even faster than we had hoped. But that's why it's doubly important that Congress appropriate the resources and tailor this authority so the administration can make sure those vaccines are getting into black and brown communities and rural areas. Thank you for the question, Tia. 
All right, I'm going to keep pushing forward. So we have. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Senator Wardon. Yeah, very quickly, we, we, I, I agree with Senator Ossoff, and we've got to make sure that these rural communities that have been so hard hit uh, are centered in our effort to get the vaccine distributed. I also want to lift up that uh, you have institutions like the Morehouse School of Medicine in Georgia, for example, that have a history of addressing these issues around equity and the distribution of health care. And uh, so this package also provides aid to HBCUs. And I think that there are ways in which we could center those organizations in our effort to distribute the vaccine uh, to communities that uh, uh, have been marginalized. All right, I'm gonna let uh, uh, Senator Padilla, he wants to jump in, but I'm gonna just tell everybody, we have uh, 21 minutes and uh, more than 10 reporters left. So I'm just trying to push through, but uh, Senator Padilla, go ahead. Super quick, uh, something that uh, somebody just touched on a second ago. You know, we're bringing the resources to our respective states. Just imperative that we work with our state and local government counterparts to ensure that equity at the ground level. So I know it's easier for some of us than others, depending on who the governor is, who local mayors are, et cetera. But it's uh, uh, different levels of government having to work together here. All right. Madison. Good morning, everybody, and thank you very much for doing this uh, Zoom call. My question is this. Uh, mask, mask mandates are being lifted in places like Texas and Mississippi, but black communities and other marginalized communities are still being disproportionately affected by coronavirus. What are some Senate Democrats prepared to do, or at least encourage the White House to do, to prevent the further spread of the disease? Colleagues, up for grabs. I will call on uh, Patty then. <laughs> to put her on the spot. Oh, Corey, such a friend. <laughs> that is, that's a real challenge. I, I mean, when we have state and local officials who are still trying to deny that um, we have a pandemic and sending the wrong message by not enforcing simple procedures like masks and making sure people wash their hands and are given the public health messages that are needed, it really undermines our efforts because if this pandemic spreads anywhere, it's gonna spread everywhere. And we know the new variants are causing even more concern as we move forward. And what we hear from Dr. Fauci and all of the health experts is we have got to right now more than ever make sure we control the spread of these variants by simple things like mask wearing until we have caught up um, to a point where we have herd immunity. So I think the White House is doing everything they can to send a message from where they are to every state and community that we have to continue to do this. I am hoping that public health experts uh, and people in those states that are flaunting um, this notion that everything is fine, great, and good um, will stand up and be loud and fight back on that. And I, I would hope everybody does that. It is really disconcerting to see that happen right now. Corey, can I do 20, Corey, can I do 20 seconds? Of course. Mr. Gray, I... I, I, I Watching what's happening in Texas and the governor obviously trying to deflect, distract from all the awful things that he's failed to do or the things he's failed to do and the awful things he's done in the last three weeks. I, I've, I know a lot of local mayors have spoken out in opposition to what the governor's done. So I would encourage all of us to work as much as we can with mayors and county health officials, kind of taking up on what Patty said, uh, to make up for as much as we can and then obviously keep the federal focus with what CDC is doing. 
All right, uh, we're going to go Ms. Ellis, then Mr. Smith, and then, dear God, Mr. Lewis, <laughs> raising your black hand, the only one tech-savvy enough to do it. Uh, you, go, you, go, you go third. Good morning. Thank you all for having us. Um, so I know that we talked a little earlier about the concern over uh, COVID-19 vaccine inequity across the country. Um, but there have been these cases where um, you have black communities or black neighborhoods that are being uh, neglected and people from outside the neighborhood are coming in and taking up the appointments, um, you know, from poor people who have been vulnerable throughout this pandemic. Um, so do you think that leaving it up to the states to distribute the vaccine is the best practice? Um, and does there need to be more intervention from the federal government? I'm trying to read people's faces. I think Elizabeth Warren. Sorry? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so let, let me just go back to what's in the bill right now. Uh, Barbara Lee, uh, Ayanna Presley, uh, Patty Murray and I, and a lot of others worked on making sure that this round of the bill has money that goes specifically into local communities. That is, it doesn't go to the governor for the governor to decide how practices are going and that it actually has hooks in it that say you have to do the hiring locally so that the money is going ideally into the churches, into community centers, into local places. And I, it, this is partly an answer to the earlier question. We, have, we cannot think of this virus state by state by state. We have to think nationally and then we have to think by community. And this bill does a much better version of doing those two things, nationally getting more vaccines created, just getting more money out there, but it's very specific. I would also add the Biden administration to their credit has identified hardest hit communities. We have 15 of them in Massachusetts and vaccinations are going straight into those communities to be handled by our community health centers for the local residents. It's not enough yet, but to me, at least, these are the right pathways, these are the right structures and the right plans. When we get this bill passed, we should see a lot more money coming into that and a lot more work that comes from the community up to get people vaccinated. And I just want to add, and also to continue testing. Testing is still a very important part, testing and tracing to understand where this vaccine, uh, where the, the COVID virus goes and trying to get it under control. I tried to talk fast, Corey. No, that's great. I really appreciate it. Next. How are you doing? Good morning from California. Thank you very much, Senators, for joining us on this call. I wanted to ask specifically about the Paycheck Protection Program that was passed last year, uh, which, of course, allowed unequal uh, access to government funds. Uh, for specifically minority-owned businesses. I realize that this bill uh, for farmers uh, may go some way to address that, but there have been some criticisms about the bill now before the Senate, uh, the the trillion, the $1.9 trillion assistance bill, in that it may lack protections uh, to prevent exploitation. Can any of you speak to that? Does anybody want to address that issue? Uh, Chuck would I like to. That, Corey. Go ahead. So one of the things we've done, Mr. Smith, to try and, you know, the first bill, uh, the PPP was scooped up by the big boys, if you will, people who had lawyers, people who had bankers, et cetera. So we've done three different things to try and rectify that now that we're in control. Probably most important, we have put $15 billion into CDFIs, Community Development Financial Institutions, and MDIs, Minority Development Institutions. 
The, their job explicitly is to go to smaller and minority-controlled businesses, nonprofits, et cetera, and help them get into the application process. Um, they are uh, really well equipped to do this. They just never had the capital. They never had the personnel. And a $15 billion infusion is huge uh, to make that happen. And that should permanently change things because once these, we, these CDFIs and MDIs, this is not just temporary. This is a permanent change. And once they're set up in the communities, they can be a link uh, to help so many of our small businesses, minority controlled small businesses, they have a bank account, but they don't have a banker. They don't have an accountant. They don't know how to get into these programs. That's number one. Number two, we have set up the PPP program so that the smallest businesses for the first month are the only ones who can apply. So they won't be crowded out by the big boys. And we've gotten rid of all these chains that used to apply, you know, Arby's or... Uh, you know, Red Lobster and all these chains that used to come in and take the money uh, before they did. And third, the IDLE program, which has been particularly successful, the Emergency Development Loan Program, which is a grant, we've put a set aside just for small and minority businesses there. So I think in this new bill, which is the first one we're really controlling, um, uh, the you'll see a big difference uh, because we've worked with uh, leaders in the uh, minority small business development area to make to rectify what Trump did. He didn't give a hoot. He just, you know, gave the money out. I would use a different word in Brooklyn instead of a hoot, but um, I don't want to do that on this public Zoom. But uh, we, are, we are rectifying it. I think you're going to see a real change. And we also ask them just to reiterate to reach out to some of the churches too. Um, because they don't have the ability to do this. But you're gonna, I think it'll be much, much different than before because uh, we realized how badly the first program was, PPP, that came out in March for our minority businesses and our smaller businesses. Hey, peeps. It's your girl, Danielle Moody, host of Woke AF Daily. Every weekday, I'm sounding the alarm and keeping you woke to all the pure evil that is going on in our country. Check me out now at patreon.com slash woke AF. Get five new shows every week for just $5 a month. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Now, I just want to say, Chuck, we, we got a lot of the change done. Uh, Kamala Harris, Mark Warner, myself, you, to get the expansion of the, the uh, minority development institutions and the CEFIs in the last bill. This bill has even more things that are going to be helping uh, black businesses that are really exciting to me, including uh, better targeting of the resources towards uh, smaller businesses. So there's a lot here, and I know we can break that down to you more uh, when we have time. And right. I'll go Senator Cardin had to get off, but we do want to thank Senator Cardin for his work with this. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. He wouldn't be done without him. He was a leader. Yeah. He was a he was uh, great. leader of the committee. Thank you, Amy. Uh, uh, Adam, uh, you're up. I'm sorry. Uh, we got to go. I'm, I gave all that love to Phil before. Uh, so you're next, sir. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for this time. So uh, the student debt crisis has hit black borrowers, especially mm -hmm. hard. And uh, Biden seems to have ruled out the push to forgive up to 50000 in student loan, uh, federal loan, loan debt per borrower. So is there like a plan to keep pressuring him on forgiveness? Yes. Let me, let me and Elizabeth and I will answer this. I am passionate about this. And um, this is an issue of, of, of 
racial equity as well as just fairness. I mean, students are just totally um, loaded with this debt. Elizabeth has great numbers. 28% of the wealth gap between black and white is due to student debt. And uh, if you are white and you have debt and you get out of college, the odds are 90%. You'll have paid it off in 15 years. The odds are only 10 or 15% if you're black. So many of these horrible, disgusting for-profit colleges took young people whose families had no experience with college, duped them, saying, take out these student loans and we'll get you a degree and you'll make a lot of money. And they, of course, never got them a degree. It is, it is not true. I think that the president has given up on this. Elizabeth and I talked to him and we have great, uh, um, great um, Ayanna Presley in the house, uh, Jim Clyburn in the house, and uh, three passionate people, our new three freshmen from New York, Mondaire Jones, Janelle Bowman, and uh, Richie Torres are leads in this. And we are continuing our campaign with the White House. They say, that they may not be able to do it. Our lawyers have proved they can do it. And the advantage of this, this can be done with the flick of a pen. We don't need legislation. And it would take a huge burden off a huge percentage of young people, particularly young people of color. Elizabeth? Oh, I'll just add, Chuck is a fabulous leader on this issue, truly passionate. We are not giving up. Yes, we have a plan. And the plan is you, Mr. Lewis, and everybody who's on this call. We have not given up on the president. We have not given up on his administration. We're in the business about demonstrating very carefully how this is entirely legal, that debt forgiveness was done by President Obama. It was done by President Trump. It has actually already been done in part on the interest rates by President Biden, and we are gonna show him how he can do this himself. But we need the outside pressure. So if you walk away with no other message on student loans, it's to say whatever you're doing to talk about it, please talk about it twice as much. Please keep raising this issue. And I wanna say a special thank you to Sherrod Brown. Tomorrow, the Banking and Housing Committee is gonna have a hearing about the racial wealth gap. Uh, one of the things I wanna talk about and will be talking about is student loan debt. So we have a couple of great witnesses coming in to talk about this, but please, 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 this is one the president can do by himself. The way he's going to do that is if he has enough outside pressure and he feels like enough people across this nation really, really, really want to see us do it. And it's a racial one, justice issue. Please help us on this. And just one more point. So the president did say at his Wisconsin town hall that he wouldn't do it. And then the next day, two things happened. Jen Psaki, his press statement said, no, 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 we're still studying it. And the White House assured Elizabeth and I that it is still on the table. This yeah. is not over and the fight will continue and we will win it. Hey, Corey, I've got to sign off and I know they're all in good hands to go uh, with Gary Peters and make sure that Ron Johnson doesn't say that what happened at the Capitol was festive and not caused by white supremacists. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Amy, so much. We're going to move on. If you've already asked a question, please put your hand down. I'm talking to you, April. Uh, and uh, let's let's go ahead. We're going to go Adam, Maya, Tia. I am definitely leaving Jonathan Capehart for last, just because uh, I want to. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't rep Newark enough. Go ahead, Adam. 
Thank you so much, Sarah Booker, and thank you all for, for doing this. Um, what we're kind of facing in terms of school reopening um, and, and equity uh, in kind of needing to catch students up in learning loss seems to be kind of the broader story of educational inequity in miniature. Um, so I was just wondering, uh, how are you all um, factoring that into this current package? And then uh, how do you ensure that it remains an integral part of policymaking uh, heading forward? Or you want me to answer? Please go ahead, Patty. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. I am so concerned about the inequities that are happening in education today uh, it, across our country because our kids have been out of school. Obviously, we all want our kids back in school. We want it to be done safely. A critical piece of the package that we have in front of us is the funding for education, which will give the uh, schools the ability to do what they need to do in terms of testing in terms of getting uh, teachers vaccinated, in terms of getting test, uh, PPE, making sure that they have the correct ventilation. Uh, and then we've got to get kids back in school, but they can't do it till they have the ability to do it. And once we have them back in school, it's not just to say, shoo, they're back in school, but to really focus on making sure we are assessing where kids are and getting resources to those kids who have been left behind, either because they don't have connectivity uh, at home, which many of them have been challenged with um, or they have other issues that uh, being left out of school and getting them back in school, helping our uh, school districts with that. So there's significant funding in this package, but moving forward, we've got to have the assessments and accountability through the Department of Education to really then focus and make sure this is not just a one and done issue, but moving forward, we are dealing with the inequities, especially the racial inequities in our school in terms of learning. And Corey, could I add 30 seconds and no more, I promise. Mr. Harris, um, I think that when you, what, what, what's so good, what the good, the really good things in this package, we think immediately upon President Biden's signature, how do we make them permanent? Uh, the earned income tax credit, child tax credit, which Corey uh, and uh, Michael and I have worked on and, and Bron Wyden and many others, the CDFI, MDI uh, investment that Chuck talked about, how do we take this package and bring as much permanence to it as we possibly can. And I think we should comb through what Patty's looking at, education, healthcare, student loans, uh, investment in communities, and figure out how we do that as soon as the ink dries on President Biden's pen. And one additional thing, if I might quickly add on the education question, um, Mark Warner and Angus King and Maria Cantwell and Brian Schatz have really worked hard to get some money for broadband here. Uh, internet connections so our kids can learn. So many don't have it. There's $17 billion in this bill, again, with a focus on underserved communities. Corey, can I just add a tax point? Yes. It's especially important that the Finance Committee begin to redo the tax code to have a sharper focus on refundable approaches with respect to taxes. That's what we're doing in this bill with respect to kids and the earned income tax credit. My colleagues, Senator Booker, Senator Brown, Senator Bennett, deserve an enormous amount of credit for it. But that's something I have been hearing from communities again and again, that if you're gonna get the money out with respect to taxes, it's gonna to have to be a refundable approach. And we're gonna put a sharp focus on that, not just in this bill, but in the days ahead. Thanks, Corey. All right, let's go next. Who's, who's up next? 
believe that's I think Maya, it was you. Yeah, I'm trying to really avoid Jonathan. So please go ahead, Maya. Well, thank you so much for doing this this morning. I actually have a 2022 question. Um, Senator Booker, you made the point earlier in this conversation about there being a lack of minority representation in the Senate. Um, there are a number of open Senate seats, of course, in Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina. I wanted to know what the thinking was around that. If you started to recruit candidates there, especially candidates of color, um, and if you've been in any conversations with those who have already started to tease their runs or thrown their hat in the ring. So I, I want to just first say that my problem when I came to the Senate was a lack of minorities, period. And this is where I'm so grateful for Chuck Schumer. Me and Brian Schatz went to him years ago and just uh, Chuck stepped up and, and delightfully it was encouraged uh, us to really help to bring about some changes to even the, just the Democratic caucus. So to his credit, under his leadership, he built on some of the things that Harry Reid was doing, uh, which meant instituting the Rooney rule for top positions uh, and, uh, uh, when you're interviewing for leadership on staffs. Uh, every senator now has to publish on the Democratic side the diversity statistics of their staffs. And what we've seen as we've measured this is a lot more African-Americans, Latinos, AAPI Americans, and women uh, 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 getting into positions of, of importance and authority. Uh, the second thing I'll say is on the campaign side, which uh, I can be cut off by by. Chuck Schumer, if I'm not supposed to be talking about this in this meeting, but the DS has taken a lot of uh, concerted efforts uh, to diversify everything from its staff all the way to the hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent in campaigns uh, with black vendors, excuse me, with minority vendors uh, and the like. And then finally, with candidate recruitment, this is a very important thing to me. It is stunning that we've only had two black women uh, in the United States Senate. Uh, and so again, uh, Senator Schumer, myself and others, are, are really talking openly about candidate recruitment as we look at um, not just this cycle, uh, 2022, and as you know, there are people of color already announced in primaries in states like Pennsylvania, uh, but also to begin to look at uh, um, uh, senators that might be uh, interested in retiring in the future and who uh, are there black candidates, House members, members of the CDC that we can begin to recruit and encourage. So I'm, I'm determined, along with a lot of my colleagues, to see a lot more diversity uh, in uh, the Democratic Senate caucus. And I think, and I'm actually really proud of the team that I have as, uh, amongst fellow senators that share that passion and are taking measurable steps to try to make that diversity uh, be Just real. one other quick point, Maya. Uh, it's not just in the Pennsylvanias and Ohio's. Georgia taught us something. We should be winning with African-American candidates in the South. Mississippi has a 38% African-American population. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to win in a state like that with a strong African-American candidate, North Carolina, South Carolina. This is, you know, we don't have, the Great Plains had six Democrats when I, you know, early in my time, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Nebraska. Now it has six Republicans. The only way we're going to keep a strong majority is by encouraging uh, candidates of color in the South and in the West, both Black and Latinx, and we are aiming to do that. And I just want you to know that, uh, uh, you know, Tim Kaine has told me that one of the best ways to get diversity is to keep what you got. So he's in charge of the keep Senator Warnock in the Senate uh, effort. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful for, for his leadership there. Uh, Senator Warnock is the deputy in that, in that, in that group. Um, all right. Uh, thank you, Maya. Do I have to go to Capehart? Is there any other reporter that might want to ask a second question?
before Jonathan Capon. Corey, Patty here. Can I say one other thing about school funding? Because this is going to happen here in the next several days. Um, we feel very strongly as Democrats that we need to get our schools open and get our kids back in school and to do it safely. We have money in the bill to, that's coming for us to do that. One of the things the Republicans are really going to be pushing is amendments like you don't um, you don't get the money unless you open your school. That is very dangerous for low-income and minority neighborhoods in particular because they are going to be desperate for the funds and open their schools unsafely in order to get the funds. We have to get the funds out there, make sure um, that the schools have access to them and then open them safely. So I just wanted everyone to be aware we are going to be fighting hard on that. Uh, it's hard to understand if you don't talk it through, but I wanted you to be aware of that and happy to talk to any of you about that as we move forward. All right. Well, our time is up for the day, and I want to thank all. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Senator Booker and senators, for doing this. And Senator Booker, if you want me to rep Newark more, you should come on my show, like 95% of the senators on this call have done, some multiple times. But I digress. Um, this is for this is for Leader Schumer. <laughs> Leader Schumer, we've talked, um, you've all talked about multiple bills, the policing bill, the COVID bill, um, HR1, S1. But the thing we haven't talked about is the filibuster. At what point are you going to do away with the filibuster so that all of these priorities have a snowball's chance in hell of actually passing? And what are you going to do to overcome Senator Manchin's opposition? Okay, well, let me say a couple of things on that. First, we have to, as a caucus, succeed in uh, passing big, bold action up and down the line, as some of the things you mentioned. We have no choice. We have no choice. Uh, the thing, the advantages we have now are we are able to bring these issues to light. They will not be shoved into uh, a garbage can, which is what Mitch McConnell did. We can have hearings. We can have uh, votes on the floor and we have the president who can push for this. And once our caucus is committed to that and we're going to have to figure out the best way to get there, the best way to get there. Failure is not an option. As many people have said, no option is off the table. And as we move forward, first, we're doing this American Rescue Plan. And, and second, the president wants us to do um, the build back better. But once we pass those, we are going to focus on just the issues you're talking about. And I will tell you this, we are going to succeed. We are going to succeed one way or the other. We're going to succeed. All right. Um, I want to thank everybody, uh, except for Jonathan, who called me out. Your show is too damn early in the morning, man. You should have a Get up. <laughs> evening oh, cocktail show. Um, but uh, did you like him better, Corey? Did you like him better when he worked for the Daily News in New York? I did. He was a much better uh, reporter yes. when he covered just us, Chuck, up in uh, the New York <laughs> region. Even um, then, I had more access to, to Senator Schumer. Uh, I know Gillibrand uh, is your favorite, so so stop no, it. No, no, Senator Booker. <laughs> well, that's no Senator Booker said it was too early. He didn't say he couldn't be on the show because he was in church. Did you notice yeah. that? <laughs> Thank you. Not that one. You, you heard that? Okay. We're going to wrap up, everybody. I want to thank my colleagues for being here. Um, uh, I want to thank Senator Schumer uh, for his leadership. But most of all, I want to thank the journalists that are on. Uh, we really value you. We know how difficult 
uh, uh, things have been for journalists, uh, uh, especially over the last four years. We look forward to continuing to work with you uh, um, and, uh, and, and trying to advance issues important, not just to African-American community, but really to our country as a whole. Um, and, and I'll say uh, as a final word, just hallelujah, amen. Let's pass the collection plate and, uh, and go, go off to brunch. Uh, take care. Bye, John. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for being thank on the call. Thank you so much. Appreciate you all. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, April. Put your seatbelt thank on. Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe. And wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.